Okie dokie, I'm ready to go. Sorry, it's cold and raining in Los Angeles. I had the heater on in the shed. I apologize. Hey, everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Today is What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day in the week where we get to answer your questions. And questions do we all have? Of course, it's mm-hmm. about the collapse and the ongoing ripple effects of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, but before we get to the questions about Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, as everybody's started calling it, uh, let's do some SVB-related uh, news fixes. Although, can I just say that every time I say that, I think of SWV. Just, it's it's in, inexorably linked in my head. Just, uh, and I so I've been SBF like listening to their I album. Get, I get mixed up with I get mixed up yeah. with Sam Bankman Fried, SBF, SVB. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah too many acronyms yeah, with the S's. All right, Bonds all right well, you go first, Kai. You were just all over this on the okay. show. Sorry, I'm just letting Bonds out. So. Uh, look, the, I mean, it's a huge story. I do not believe it's a crisis. I think the global banking situation right now uh, is a situation, which we should keep an eye on. Uh, but hang on, I'm going to close the door now because otherwise it's going to get cold. Um, mm. But here's what I wanted to point out. Uh, when people get uh, antsy in global finance, they go to American treasuries, treasury debt, right? Bonds and bills and all that jazz because it is the safest, most liquid debt instrument in the world. The problem is that sometimes too many people want to buy American debt. Too many people want to buy bonds. And when that happens, this thing called liquidity in the bond market suffers. That is to say there aren't enough bonds to go around or there aren't enough bonds being sold to meet all the buying demand. And that is what has happened. And I will quote from an article in the Wall Street Journal today, which says, liquidity in the market for 10-year treasury futures, right, and that is the benchmark 10-year treasury debt, has been less than half the levels recorded before the SVB collapse. That's according to the data from quantitative brokers. That is amazing. That's amazing. The people who have American treasuries are holding on to it. The people who don't have it want to buy it. It's a big deal. It's not like the market's going to break. It's not like it's going to collapse, but it does kind of give outweight um, influence to one trade. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And I think um, maybe it's worth explaining a little more what you just said there about the people holding them don't want to sell because it's not it's not just the U.S. government that sells these bonds. Oh, right? yeah. Sorry. That, that's a very good point. Right. So the, the U.S. government is, of course, the originating dealer of uh, U.S. debt. Right. That the Treasury Department. But once you have there is an active, thriving, tr- multi-trillion dollar uh, business or market in uh, U.S. Treasuries. So they get traded all the time, every nanosecond, 24 hours a day, right, by banks, by people who hold them, by retirement funds, by companies, what have you, right? Because they are easily tradable. They're incredibly liquid most of the time. They're as good as cash, fundamentally. Um, And the idea that people who have them don't want to sell them now is remarkable. It's remarkable. It's the flight to quality. Because there would usually be sort of just as in the normal operations of the market, a certain number of people selling treasuries because maybe oh, they're sure. in somebody's retirement fund and now they're starting right. to cash out on the retirement fund. Exactly. And so they're selling off those treasuries. But now retirement funds are like, actually, we'll get that money from someplace else. We need to hold these treasuries. Yep. We're, we're just going to hang on. We're just going to hang on. It's yeah. kind of wild. Kind of yeah. wild. What do you got? Um, mine is about sort of the global ripple effects of this. Mm-hmm. Credit Suisse is in a mess over <laughs> in Switzerland. Um, you know, basically, this is another bank that because people started freaking out, uh, confidence in the bank just like fell 
yeah, today, like, and mm-hmm. the fact that the banking crisis might spread, and I'm reading from the journal here, before the regulator's announcement, and this is um, the, oh, sorry, back up. Because it was such a bad situation, this afternoon, our time or evening, their time, Swiss regulators have said that they will step in to provide some extra liquidity, because this is the thing that everybody needs right now, mm-hmm. to Credit Suisse, because basically the Saudis wouldn't bail them out, <laughs> which is hilarious mm-hmm. given how much money the Saudis have sitting in various Swiss banks, but that's a whole other thing. Um, prior to the regulators' announcement, shares in Credit Suisse fell 24% to a no lo- a new low prices on its bonds fell to distress levels and its US listed shares um of course went back up but it's some of this is real and some of it is the panic right mhm mhm and I, like right. I think this is you know we've been telling everybody if you don't have more than $250,000 in the bank you really have nothing to worry about. And even if you do have more than $250,000 in the blank bank, lucky you, you probably still don't have anything to worry about. Nevertheless, people hear bank run, people hear bank failure, oh, sure. people hear, you know, about major government regulators stepping in. And, you know, Savannah had that great piece on the show today about all of these regional bank managers trying to calm their customers and say, we're mm. fine, really, we promise. But this uh, this is what people were worried about is the contagion effect. Right, right. Yep. It's real. It's real. All right. So uh, now we've got yeah. our actual questions. Uh, Right. So first up is a question from Nick in Sonoma County. He wants to know more about the FDIC insurance limit. He writes, the FDIC has covered $250,000 for as long as I can remember. Me too. And with that not being enough to cover most companies' payroll, why hasn't this amount increased? When was it originally set? Go for it. You want this or you want me to do this one? No, you can go ahead. Okay. So I'm confused by the word payroll, but we'll get back there in a minute. Very briefly. So the FDIC, right, was an it's an independent federal agency established after the Great Depression to restore confidence in the American banking system, which had been shattered by the Great Depression. Uh, it was originally $2,500. Since then, it's been raised seven times, most recently in 2008 or 2009, 2008, I guess, when it went from 100000 to 250000 because of the damage that was done in uh, the financial crisis. Obviously, as you can tell by the, the dates of when this stuff happens, FDIC limits, limits get raised after there has been a crisis. Nobody ever goes, oh, yeah, okay, now let's raise it proactively. That's not what happens. And I think it's a fair bet that now we're going to see a whole lot of discussion about either raising that limit or mm-hmm. actually just carte blanche backing all deposits in all institutions, okay? We'll, we'll see, but, but there is going to be that debate. Um, why does it do this? Well, honestly, it wants to maintain stability and confidence in the banking system, right? Because as Kimberly was talking about earlier, once a bank run gets going, it is Katie bar the door, right? You, you fundamentally cannot stop it until the lender of last resort and or the federal government, right? Lender of last resort being the Fed, the federal government being the federal government comes in and says, we got it. Or to quote Mario Draghi during the great financial crisis, we will do whatever it takes, When you say magic words like that, everybody goes, oh, okay, it's fine. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is whether people say, all right, $250,000 is fine, or you need to bump it to $500,000, a million, I don't know, 
We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where the money comes from. The money comes from a tax levy, a fee, a tax levied on banks, right? Banks pay a premium on all their deposits uh, to pay into that insurance pool, which is now like 128-ish billion dollars. Of course, that was before SVB. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so that's the deal with F- F- FDIC. Let me just, just super quickly though, on, on the actual question about payroll, FDIC limits were not supposed to back payroll, right? They back company accounts but not necessarily and not specifically for payroll. So that's kind of a whole different challenge, Nick, just well, to be clear. Well, I think the question might be like, you, in theory, a company is going to keep enough cash in the bank to meet its payroll, right? Yes, for that in pay theory. And, and there was a lot of talk and, about that, right? And there was a lot of talk about that. Yeah. Sorry, when SVB went under, that was the big Friday conversation, right? These companies aren't going to be able right. to make payroll. That's true. So if... $250,000 isn't enough for an average company that needs to keep enough cash in there to pay payroll. Doesn't the logic follow that the limits yeah, should be at least enough so that your average size company can keep enough to meet payroll in the bank at any given point in time? It, yes, it does follow. I don't know the politics of that money follow, right? Because what's the average size yeah. business in this economy, right? 50 people? Yes. 75-ish? Right? Mm-hmm. That, that's a lot of money. That's way more yeah. than $250,000. I don't know. Exactly. I'll do some and that's research. where you get to that, that like yeah. million right. dollar limit, $2 million limit. Right. Yeah. Because right. I, I mean, right. I can imagine that being like Look, the metric or something. Like, right. let's right. at least make right. these limits enough so that we don't have people freaking out whether or not they're going to meet payroll if a bank fails. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. That's a good uh, question. Sorry, I'm just Googling average business size. No, it's a really good, it's a really good question. Really good question. Okay, All right. next one, SVB. Go. Hey, Kai and Kimberly. This is Melissa calling from San Francisco. Whew, what a week it's been. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to try to understand better how these new programs that the government is implementing regarding the SVB situation will resonate throughout the financial industry as we continue forward. Because basically what they've said is, hey, We've bailed out all these depositors and made them whole. So if you make a mistake, we'll do the same thing. So mm-hmm. what's preventing banks from taking bigger risks and creating a more unstable future in the financial market? Mm-hmm. Thanks for yeah. making me part. Oh, such a good question. I mean, fear could be one thing, but what you're really mm-hmm. talking about is a moral hazard. And this is a term used in economics and politics and lots of other field to refer to an idea that taking a particular action increases the incentive to take on additional risk. So think about all the people who live on coastlines despite climate change, right? If we have flood insurance and all these other government programs that will help you rebuild your house at a reduced cost, you have very little incentive to do otherwise. In this case, you know, we're potentially telling banks that, you know, there's an incentive to take on these riskier bets because you're probably not going to have to absorb the full costs of it. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether or not this moral hazard thing is really playing out in Wall Street right now because the Fed, the FDIC, the Treasury, all these folks, they would not have stepped in if not for the chaos and real potential serious knock-on effects that would have happened had they not done something. So now that, you know, 
they're more aware of this. Maybe the regulators and the supervisors are going to have additional oversight, so not let it get so bad. And you'd get caught a little bit earlier than SVB did. Or, you know, maybe, you know, intrepid journalists would notice it and and report on Mm -hmm. it a little bit earlier. Uh, Also, because, you know, the people in power at this bank and in other banks that would be in similar situations are not coming out okay. All of the bank's leadership got fired. The shareholders are not going to get their money back. And, you know, they're that that's costing people. So if you're an Mm -hmm. executive at a bank, if you're a leader, if you're a shareholder voting on something that they're doing and, you know, voting for the board, you have a very strong incentive to not let them take on silly risks because that means you're going to lose your money. So in terms of what might prevent banks from being you know, taking bigger risks in the future. There's the fear of losing all your money, but also potentially additional regulation, which, yeah. you know, Congress, uh, in theory, might be looking at. But, you know, as you said in your show yeah. today, Congress. <laughs> Congress is, you know, Congress. Congress, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all we've got for today. Please keep sending us your questions. You know how to get a hold of us. We're at 508-UB-SMART, also at makemesmart at marketplace.org. I know that this is a super complicated topic, and it's it's easy to freak out about it, but um, I think some of this is just it's the shiny, exciting thing to feel, fill time on, on cable news at the moment. Um, oh, my Lord, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, it's it seems and these could be famous last words to be under control. And so at least I'm not running to pull my money out of the bank. (laughs) No. And I think we should be clear. And I said this on the show yesterday on Marketplace yesterday. The banking system is stable. Your money is safe. Do not panic. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but one more thing before we go, because we have mm-hmm. to, uh, it's Wednesday. We are 25% of the way to our $150,000 goal. That is what we need to stay on track for the year. Our fundraiser ends Friday. So, you know, two more days producing a show like this doesn't come cheap. Doesn't come easy. It takes people. Kimberly and I get to sit in front of the microphone, but there is a whole squad of people behind us doing everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need the $150,000. It's not going to be the total for the year. It is what we need to stay on track because the people at corporate headquarters who track this sort of stuff keep a very close eye on how they are doing. Marketplace.org slash give smart if you can. Uh, the link will be in the show notes, of course. Please and thank you. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Antonio Barreras is our intern. Today's program was engineered by Drew Jostin. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our acting senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. And Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. I'm struggling to say words today. <laughs>